We're back with Heather and Herman to continue our discussion in part two. Just for the audience's benefit, just to understand what it means in action for journalists trying to deal with the complexities that they face, um, there are choices to be made in the heat of the moment in order to be able to give that perspective and to be faithful to the codes of conduct in producing the news. And in those choices, I mean, to what extent is there a self-censorship, um, particularly with respect to, like in, in the case of are now, to prevent sort of further violence and looting? Where do we draw the line here? And oh, is there a line? Um, and how are different rights balanced out? You know, it's some pretty distressing imagery can be shown at times, you know, dead bodies and stuff. But we also know that some of those distressing imageries have been pivotal uh, in, 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 in a societal and even global understanding of a particular event in history. You know, pictures of a young girl fleeing a napalm attack in Vietnam come to mind. How, how does that work in the era that we're in, and particularly in this moment of civil unrest? How are decisions made? So uh, the, uh, a, lot of, a lot of what you're talking about is, um, talks, to, to, talks to how we actually work. So, so yes, the journalist will be alone there and perhaps with the photographer, um, but they, they, they use the sounding board of editors who, you know, who, who do, do bring other, in, in raise those contexts as well. And, and, and that's the debates that we have. Um, I mean, in, in, in the environment I'm working now, as I said, it's all remote, but we, we, we're on WhatsApp groups and we're on Google Meets groups where we talk about this stuff all the time. It's like, for example, um, we talked about um, the, the story about Durban, the, the reporter basically focused on white middle-class Durban, and we're going to hold on a second. There's a lot happening in Phoenix, in Chatsworth, in Kwamashu, in Chesterville. We need to actually reflect, you know, what's going there, and you know, please let's go back and let's, let's try and do that. Um, difficult when in an organization which doesn't have that many, it's only got one reporter <laughs> in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, but uh, it's... It, it, that, that 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 sort of deeper context and the decision making does it, it it does happen with feedback from from editors or working with the journalist. So it's not not someone just sitting alone and you know it is like it's like how are you doing? Um, have you thought about this? Have you, you know, considered this? This has appeared in that media. Can you actually um, interrogate that? And um, and then and there's these different layers of people who work within an organisation. So yes, there's the there's the the news editor who the reporter is talking directly to, and then there's um, then there's the people who, who the sub editors and others who are fact checking the information. Um, and yeah, yeah. So there's so there's different processes and filters that it goes through, so that it's not just you know even though you might be alone, they're making that decision on. Um, yeah, let me let me come in there. Um, I, I think you know, for me, what is important here is that in the, the, the process and, and one of the things that that we teach um, at at university is is media ethics. You know, and 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 so um, I think that the the process of media ethics is 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 the development of a sort of a, again that sort of moral imagination, but also of the the um, 
the inclination of journalists to to see problems before they arise, right? So to 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 try and sensitize people to say, well, this might be true, this might be fact-checked, but it the way that we are framing it might be, as you say, Kamara, incendiary, um, or it might be um, only it might be one-sided, or we might be setting up a binary between things. So I think. Um, the, the, I think part of the problem of disinformation uh, is, is, is it becomes so imperative to do the fact checking, and it's taking so much time and effort and resources to do fact checking that there's almost again it's another layer of of work for journalists to do that um, again pushes the those questions of ethical reflection and contextualization you know further on the back burner because the the, the urgency of having to fact check things, uh, and of course these things are related. I mean you don't want I mean un, uh, sort of factually untrue journalism is, is equally unethical, but I think it's um, that that process of, of of reflection and also once you have reported to go back and do that sort of um, second reflection on on what you have done, uh, I think that is that is vital. And again, it's often a question of resources. Um, it's a question of can journalists afford the time to to have these. So, and it's wonderful to hear about this this political cafe that there is referred to. But how many journalists um, can afford that? You know, and when we sometimes do ethics workshops with journalists, it's a real consideration whether those journalists can be taken out of the newsrooms to spend a day or two or three um, on a on a refresher course. But unfortunately, I think if you if you consider journalism to be a profession, you know, which is again a whole different um, debate. But if you look at the way that other professions are are um, having to constantly um, go back and attend conferences and do this professional development. I think that is something that that we would have to see. Um, and in in cases like these, I think this is you know these when there's a crisis moment. Now is not the time to, to you know to go on a refresher course. Now is the time when you have to apply that that what you've learned. And 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 I think this is where the metal is being tested. Yeah, it seems like I mean we know disinformation spreads far quicker than the truth. Um, or at least evidence-based and credible information. Um, so it almost appears that, you know, journalists are facing a, a very difficult challenge, you know, um, you know, in a sense, they can't be play, playing catch-up all the time. There's, there has to be a, a strategic, um, you know, orientation which allows them to bring perspective where they actually, in a sense, inoculating society <laughs> against it instead of playing catch up. So, so in that respect, you know, what's the future? You know, like where to from here for social media and for traditional media? Like what should stay the same and what should change and, and how um, as our closing question? I really wish that, um, that, the role of journalism in its many forms would be taken a bit more seriously. Um, and, and especially considering um, what we're up against in terms of, of disinformation. Um, and so I wish there would be more investment into, into journalism and into the training of journalists and into, you know, uh, so that we don't have these situations where, where, where newsrooms can't spare journalists to go on a three-day ethics course, where lawyers can go on a two-week yeah, legal conference. Um, I do think, you, you know I mean, we've got to get to a level where, where the role is, you know, is considered as a vital part of our democracy. I'd like to see that in the future. 
Um, and then maybe, and then that, that does talk to, it comes back to, to, to how, you know, how journalism is funded and supported and, 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 and um, yeah, the business models of it. So maybe if the state values, well, I mean, you know, that, that, you know, I don't know, countries like France actually do support journalism, um, but not, well, not, not, not that the state should influence the journalism, but should understand the role that it, that it plays. And then maybe, you know, they should, I don't know, there should be some sort of tax so that journalism can be supported. But I think we, 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 we're in incredible danger um, of, of not having um, quality journalism playing the role that it needs to play, particularly in, 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 um, in, in century environments like this, when we have very small newsrooms with journalists overstretched, uh, journalists not having the time to bounce ideas around and, 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 and frame things differently, to, to consider different forms of framing, um, fact-checking, verifying, etc., and digging deep and investigating. Um, so, 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 if I would like to see a future where where journalists do have that ability to function as we should, um, and so that we can better serve um, society with 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 quality information um, from different perspectives, and 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 I think more effort needs to be put into yeah innovating around how do we support that. Now, just to push a bit. On that, Heather, like in terms of the innovation of new models, um, you know, we've seen this kind of experimental work with citizen journalism, you know, yielding some interesting results uh, on the continent, like, you know, Map Kibera project in, in Kenya, um, outside Nairobi. I mean, how, how do you see that unfolding? Um. Look, I'm one of the few <laughs> journalists who are a fan of citizen journalism, and because I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that journalists will ever be able to do what you know an ordinary person, the masses of ordinary people on the ground with their cell phones, can do. Um, so I do think that that could be part of the future of journalism, but I do think journalists and editors um, need to get off their pedestal. And like, I mean, this is where, I mean, I, I, I don't know what Herman's view is in it, but my view is, you know, us uh, professional journalists, um, some, some feel threatened by that, that their role's been taken away and it's been diffused by, you know, everyone being a journalist. But um, I do believe that, that there are, for example, I mean, this is what I did my thesis on there. Like I said, some, some examples, some, some, some lawyers, like Pierre de Vos, for example, people in the legal fraternity, who are actually pretty better at journalists than, some, than, than, than analyzing. And yes, welcome, open it up, open it up. Why, you know, um, you know some, some caregivers are better healing than, than, than professional doctors. Let's just face facts. So, I mean, that they're all in the healthcare services. It doesn't mean, doesn't take away our role it, I think it can add value to our role to have more primary sources of information. And so, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm, my, not many of my colleagues agree with me on, on this, but I do think that we should actually welcome more. We, it, I think we'd have more, we have more accuracy, we have more diversity, we have more voices. We, we, you know, we, 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 we sit on, on top of a pedestal, you know, like judging and like, you know, like you know, like you know, talking about good and evil, and these, you know, it's, 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 the world's not manichaeistic. It's not like that. It's much more diverse, 
and we've got to get down there. And one way we physically can't, because there's so few of us, is by relying on, 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 you know, on, on citizen journalists. Ordinary people were given the tools to train more people, um, train them how to fact check, how to, you know, how to carve a narrative, talk to them about framing, etc. And the more the better. I mean, and and that will be a massive. If we have masses of people doing that, there'll be a great uh, counterforce to this 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 rubbish of of fake news. Well, and speaking to, uh, straight to some of the work we're doing at CABC, there we must we must pick up that conversation another time. Uh, we've got five minutes. I want to give it to Herman. Herman, you know, uh, I, I, you know, uh, Heather's really problematized the question <laughs> quite deeply for you. What's your educated response? <laughs> well, I'll just agree with Heather in saying that, you know, there's this, um, there's a real danger that, that journalists can see themselves as some sort of professional elite that, that have, that do the gatekeeping work and, and that in fact might, um, actually broaden the chasm between them and, and, and people, ordinary people, and that might lead to even more misunderstandings and even more of a, um, lack of that sort of imagination that I spoke of earlier. So I think uh, absolutely, um, you, you know, there's a it's an academic called Nico Carpentier who's written, who's inverted this idea of gatekeeping, which is the traditional way of thinking about journalism, um, to saying gate opening and then saying that they're the gate openers, that they're the people that have to actually curate, open, bring con bring uh, uh, voices into the conversation. And, and again, then, um, that's not to say that they are not just mere conduits. They are doing the framing, they're doing the shaping. And we, I think we also do have to recognize, and, you know, as, as, a, as a media critic, I often, you know, maybe I'm mistaken for um, not uh, appreciating the role of, I mean, the, the real pressures that journalists are under. And, and I do understand that. I think that um, also in this era of disinformation, often journalists are the targets of attack and of harassment and of online abuse. And, and so, you know, I think that it cuts both ways, that, 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 um, that chasm. And I think once you open it up, once you get more participation, when, when you, you broaden that community of people interpreting the world, um, I think you also build uh, alliances. So what you do then is also getting more people on your side and, and helping you and, and supporting you. And that goes from the sort of moral support to the more economic and resource support where people are actually helping you do, do your work. So I, I fully agree that um, journalists should not see this as a threat or as a, an attack on them, their, their role to say that, well, let's open it up and get more voices and, and, and let's get more views. Um, and certainly when we, when we see something like this happening that speaks so directly, I mean, we're talking about the looting and the, the violence, and it speaks so directly to the vast inequalities in our society, the vast polarizations and the, 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 the oceans of misunderstanding, you know, and, and I think that's the role of, of, of journalism is to try and cross those oceans to say, let's try and understand what's going on here. Um, and, and, and understanding is not the same as justifying. It's not the same as, as saying, oh, let's just say this is all fine, you know, looting and violence is, is, is because we understand why it's happening, therefore we condone it. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that that the role of journalism is also to make that, to help meaning making and help interpreting and help understanding. And the more voices that can participate in that process, I think the better. Might it be fair to say, just before we close, um, that if the media don't change their model they might find themselves becoming irrelevant to some degree because of the power of social media. 
It's something I think about a lot. I think the media can be irrelevant um, if we're only speaking to each other and to a certain class, and often it's race as well, of people, and that we are not, um, yeah, and we're not open to, to, to the diversity of, of um, yeah, of the, of, the, of the people that we serve. I mean, often, I mean, to be very honest, I think other than the SABC, and in particular its radio, um, which reaches out to, I think, the greatest diversity of people. I mean, all the rest of us, including Daily Maverick, um, speak to an elite. And there's a, yeah, and there's, you know, often um, by speaking to an elite, and I know from all the other places I've worked for, which also spoke to an elite, um, it's about, oh, the, you know, that's how we get advertising because the, the elite are the ones with the money. And that's, I mean, if, if they read us and if we can show that they read us and in terms of readership figures, we show we have the wealthiest people reading us, that, give, that brings advertisers and brings sponsors and donors and investors to us. And it doesn't sit well with me. Um, it's, a, it's a conundrum for me um, because quite every, 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 every media house that I've worked for, um, I mean that 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 is the that it is the the underpinning business. As I said, the only the only the, the only outlet is 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 the should be the public broadcaster, which reaches out and which serves everyone. Yes, like Daily Maverick does serve everyone, um, because it's free online, um, but. Uh, yeah, sometimes tone and who's writing and who, you know, you know, it attracts a particular audience. So it's, it's, you know, it's not an easy question to answer. And I said, it's something that I deeply grapple with wherever I've worked. And because and, I really do believe that, um, that, that you'd have less ignorance if, and, 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 and more, de more debate and more understanding and media would, would last longer if it actually was a bit more open to the society that it is meant to serve. As in the voices of society, as in people writing for the organization, represented from that society. Um, yeah, in bringing, opening up and being diverse in many more ways. And that's my belief, but I haven't yet worked for a place that I think, yeah, Marries my belief yet. Yeah, I think the danger here is that um, as these economic pressures intensify, you know, one of the responses is to come up with innovative ways of, of, um, of for instance, subscriber models, of membership models, and all of that. I understand why that is necessary. But I think um, the, the the mistake that one shouldn't make then is to conflate one's market with the public, you know. And I think that, in other words, saying that you're working in the public interest is something different from saying I'm 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 working in the from for my market, you know, for my audience. And I think that is um, the really important thing. Of if you look at the the history of public journalism, and again, Heather, I want to come back to your work that you've done at the at the Herald. I mean, bringing people together and listening. Um, what is the major issue in our country here is that of inequality, right? And inequality and, and polarization. That's something that, you know, has been with us uh, 
And it's going to be with us for, for many years to come, unfortunately. And we see this play out uh, at the moment. And, and, and so that is a challenge for me for journalism to remain relevant and to make a contribution is to try and overcome that inequality and polarization in some way. And that can only be done, I think, if you, if you say that, yes, this is my market. This is the people. These are the people that pay my bills. But I'm not only serving them. I'm serving the public. And that means that sometimes I have to also confront my market with perspectives and views and things that they might not want to hear. And I'm, you know, pandering to the market might be an economic, make short-term economic sense, but that's a certain way, I think, of narrowing your perspective to the point that you might become irrelevant. And I think that is that is why it's so important again to, to that that imagination of, of broadening things out and, and, and bring more people on board, why that is um why that is absolutely crucial. Yeah. I can talk to what happened at the Herald, which was different. I mean, the Herald had a particular market, and they get the market that you know that paid the money. It was a, it was a, it, it's an old white PE newspaper settler, British settler community, and and I actually I really you know said we we can't only serve these people with the news that we do and the, and the information they were and 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 worked with um Nelson Mandela University Allenson who um at the center at at Canada at Center for Advancement against racism and building dem- democracy and we went into communities willfully went into like communities like new new brighton um and and open the space for people to talk about the issues that were deeply affecting them in 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 PE and listened and recorded and wrote about it but also so but also what started happening is that the people the 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 the, the, the traditional market actually started coming to those events as well so there was a bridge building there an understanding of of the issues that are happening there. But what's what I find now, so everyone's, we call the community dialogues, and that's what it was. It was not a money-making thing. For me, it, it was really about, um, what, what I find now is that uh, as uh, part of the model of, of, of getting funding for journalism is webinars and and these, um, yeah. So, so they, they, they invite experts and they invite audiences, so they, but they're not, it's not the same thing. They're not listening to anyone. They they they're listening to the elites. It's elites on webinars talking to each other. There's no going into communities to, and that saddens me. Um, yeah, uh, it's not enough of that's happening. Not enough of that's happening at all anywhere anymore. It's all it's part of the the revenue stream now. A webinar is part of a revenue stream where Heather and Herman will be interviewed. But we're not going deep into community. We opening up a gathering. I mean, I mean, I mean, members of the it was amazing the kinds of questions because we brought politicians, and the people would question, and the, the level of debate for me was astounding, the, because it's based from people's you know the, uh, uh, interviewing the uh, the DG for education when Eastern Cape Education was like uh, you know in the shambles, and here were ordinary parents filling up our community hall and. There, we, we brought the, I mean, a journalist, we, we brought the, the, the DG to, to be questioned by them, um, by teachers, by principals, by ordinary parents. So we created a conversation, um, whereas now it's a conversation of elites again. It's not, yeah, you know, I, I feel that all the media houses are doing the conversation of elites now. Yeah, and I mean, if, if the protests and conflicts like these are 
opportunities to exactly sh- see how that plays out, right? So we see now in, in terms of referring to the looters, the word them. Just just pay attention to how the word them is being used and operationalized and what that is code for, right? So one perspective talking about them and the other talking about them and it is this othering process that is going on all the time. It's 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 never us, uh, us as a country, I mean, not never, but it's, it's seldom, you know, thinking about this is something that is affecting all of us, that is, is part of our, the fiber of this, very problematic and highly unequal polarized society. And, and so sort of that, they're talking about them and the othering. And if you talk about community protests, not, not the, the ones, the, the, the looting and the violence that we're seeing at the moment, but if you're looking at the community protests over the past decade, decade and a half, um, often the reporting there was very much that, um, Heather, that you're referring to of, of an elite perspective. I think Stephen Friedman spoke about the view from the suburbs, you know, that we often get served up in, in, in print media. And, and, a vivid illustration of this is when there's a community protest somewhere on the road and you would hear on the radio saying, avoid the end to, to work today because there's there's a barricade, people are burning tires. I'd rather take a different view, road to the work and I hope you'll have a lovely day. Nobody goes and interviews them, find out what the protest is about. It's about whose perspective is this? Is the person wanting to get to the office in the CBD, right? So, I mean, and that's another way of routinely um, day after day, framing those protests is something that is done by them to us. And, and, and I think we have to absolutely get away from that othering, that binary view of this is, we're all in this together, you know, to use a cliche. Um, and, and again, that doesn't mean that this is, um, we, we condoning violence or looting or, or instigation and, and racism and all of this. But we have to understand this is a problem that is plaguing us as a society that has long historical roots and that we have to find a way of, of, of solving together and, and that othering and, and typecasting and scapegoating is not going to really help us um, overcome those problems. That's a great Great last contributions from you guys because, um, you know, I teach a course on values-based leadership and um, for organizations. And one of the case studies I do with my class to make them really reflect deeply is on the Marikana massacre. And I often point out that the stories of those miners and their families were not represented in the media in the lead up to that massacre and how different it might have been if their voices had been present in the public discourse that we saw. So I just want to thank you both for such an honest and in-depth kind of session. Um, The media is a critical part of the institutional architecture that produces a democracy. So it's a very relevant and topical discussion, particularly today. And I really hope it gives our, our listeners a bit more insight into the inner workings and challenges that the media faces in the new environment that we find ourselves in. Uh, so thank you very much for making the time. And, and I really do hope our listeners, uh, you know, get some benefit out of this conversation. Thank you both.